pretty much the same as everything to do with watches, though, isn't it? They're still status symbols. I mean, my Casio's tells the the well, I'm not, I don't wear a watch, but. Today we talk about dull devices, humongous hacks, and dildo data. All this and more on a week in wireless. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Week in Wireless, the telecoms.com podcast. I'm Scott Wachano and with me today is Jamie Davis. Hello, Scott. So just two of us, Jamie. I won't start singing that Bill Withers song, don't worry. <laughs> um, so yes, in, in order to not do that, I'll just go straight into the main agenda. We've got quite a devices stroke IoT-ish um, one this week. Um, I'm going to start by talking what I call dull devices. I wrote a piece earlier in the week about, uh, and it must be stressed, by the way, for the audience's purposes, it's been a pretty quiet news week, hasn't it? <laughs> There's been a bit of the scraping of the bottom of the barrel going on, but that's what we get paid for. Um, and one of those bits of scraping was looking at uh, leaks for the forthcoming Samsung Galaxy S8 flagship smartphone, which is going to be launched towards the end of this month, about a month later than it normally is. It's normally launched at Mobile World Congress. And the general assumption is it's launched later because Samsung completely asked things up with the Note um, at the end of last year, and it really can't afford to ask things up with the S8. So it's giving itself an extra month to obsess over every little detail. And so that, and that's also an extra month for the tech press to obsess over leaks. And the sum total of all the leaks I could find when I was sort of looking around was that there's going to be the devices are going to be a bit bigger than before. The camera's not massively different, the screen's not massively different, the chip's not massively different. They're all slight incremental improvements, but there's nothing that amazing. I think both of them are going to have that sort of edge-style wraparound display thing, but that's it. And and I just thought, it's not really Samsung or anyone's fault. It's just That is just illustrative of how little excitement there is in the smartphone space right now what would you reckon Jamie yeah but I mean I think I think it's been heading this direction for for quite a while now I mean what you do different on a mobile phone and I think I think mobile congress a couple of weeks ago this was a perfect example when you had Nokia's old feature phone yeah. grabbing all the headlines I mean it just shows how mundane yeah. and sort of unprogressive the smartphone industry is from a hardware perspective I yeah. mean Let's be honest, like, I, I look at this phone. So I've got um, Motorola G4, I think yeah. it is. Yours is a sort of mid-range smartphone, Android yeah. smartphone. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's perfectly functional. I drop it all the time. It doesn't break. It's great. Um, it's got it's got a it's got a camera on it, which is perfectly suitable for my means. Um, you know, it's a good size. It's got a good screen. I can watch videos on it. It's all fine. But, I mean, why do I need anything more than that? You know, yeah. For, to have a super duper camera, if you're that much of a photography enthusiast, surely you're going to buy your own camera. Indeed, you know you're not digital SLR or whatever. Exactly, you're not going to be taking pictures on your phone just because. Because if you're that much of an enthusiast, Indeed. you're going to have a camera. So Indeed. I just think I just think a lot of the the upgrades now are just completely redundant. Yeah, and even if you don't think they're redundant, even so, I've got a Galaxy S7 which is a more expensive Android phone than yours. So it'll have a slightly better camera, slightly faster chip, slightly better screen, etc., etc., etc. But it's still essentially the same thing. They all run on Android. This is one of the problems all Android phone makers have had for years. They all run on Android, so the user experience is almost identical. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't using your phone and my phone. I don't feel any worse off because my phone costs considerably less. No, um, I mean to be perfectly honest, we you know, WhatsApp works just as well on yeah, mine exactly. as it does on yours, and my emails come through just as quickly on this phone as they do on yours. So yeah, indeed. So um, and you know, and, and I've been tracking the smartphone sector for for a few years. It basically matured very early. Um, in terms of form factor, back in the feature phone days, we'd have all these different form factors. We'd have a clamshell, like a flip one, or you'd have a slider, or you'd have this, that, and the other. Um, but the smartphone soon arrived at this full touchscreen black rectangle form factor, um, where the user experience is far more determined by the software than anything to do with hardware. So the the capacity for sort of novelties in terms of hardware diminished there. They've crammed all the best stuff that they can into the into the circuit board. All they can do is make those chips a little bit better year on year. So that's going to be, remain the case for a little while. And it's no one's fault, and it's not really a problem, except for us tech journalists looking for a story to write. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the only direction they can give now is the same way that the telcos are going. You know, they're, they're looking for value adds, they're looking for content. I mean, is that the same way that Sam... I mean, that, there was that um, uh, the, those rumours about SoundCloud. Mm. Um, sort of last week. I mean, right about it, someone might be looking to buy it, and you you wrote a piece sort of wondering who that might be and why. Yeah, yeah, and I could see you know if you can't differentiate on your hardware because all smartphones are pretty much exactly the same, and you can't differentiate that much on your software because what is it like seventy three, seventy four percent of the phones on the planet are Android. Yeah, something, Some, like that. something ludicrously high. So you've got to look at little value adds and, yep. you know, something like SoundCloud or having, or like or, or like Apple phones have iTunes built Indeed. in built into it straight away. I mean, that, that's got to be the direction that they've got to be looking at because otherwise I can't see pretty much any differentiation aside from, you know, iLifers have iPhones because they got this perception that they're better than everyone else and even <laughs> though they just like paying more apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get onto that in a bit. No, it's just, I mean, I just, don't, I just don't see the value of buying a Samsung over my Motorola anymore. No, well actually, you know, so on that subject of paying more, there's a couple of other stories <laughs> that I've written this week that, that have some relevance to that. One, you're referring to iLifers, i.e. Apple uh, users specifically. Um we all, we all know that um, they willingly pay a premium, and, th- and that's absolutely fine as far as I'm concerned. I certainly don't want to get into these sort of theological debates as to who's right and who's wrong. As a, as a consumer, you've got the money in your pocket. What you choose to spend it on is your business. But one thing that Apple got, uh, got, seemed to have got caught out by Russian um, authorities for price fixing uh, in that market. Now, you might say, how can Apple price fix? Apple can charge what it wants for, for iPhones. And it can through its direct channels, but these are through indirect channels, through third parties, and it was accused of sort of coercing those third parties into all charging exactly the same price. Um, whereas in a, in a fluid market, you'd always expect them to be undercutting each other or there, there to be some price dynamism. Uh, and I suppose, you know, I concluded from that, and, and Apple, it's got, it must be said, um, cooperated with the investigation. It said, yes, we'll be good from now on, and, and that's all. that's all done. And there's no stories that it's doing the same thing anywhere else it could just be an isolated thing but it is also an indication of how effective apple is at managing pricing so i wrote a piece a while back that's just saying that apple has a apple has a um about a hundred dollar premium 
uh, on its phones compared to, let's say, Galaxy S7, which spec for spec is is pretty much the same. You could argue that things like iTunes are worth it. I, I personally don't think so. But, you know, fair play to Apple. They're just very good uh, um, maintaining this extra bit of margin. Nearly all the profit in the smartphone industry goes to Apple, even compared to Samsung. But at the same time, it is gradually starting to slip, isn't it? So I think there was the... Um I think it was last time I was out in Barcelona, not for Mobile Congress. I would have been out there last October for OpenStack. And I think I wrote up their quarterlies at that point. And I think the average price of uh, the uh, the average price per unit worldwide was starting, starting to decline month on month, year no, but, on yeah, year. Yeah, they've got things like the iPhone SE, which is a slightly cheaper one. And to be honest, it's been obvious for a while. In my previous job as a smartphone analyst, we looked at this sort of thing quite a lot. Um, and you know, Apple looked like it pretty much got all the value it's going to get out of the sort of ultra high end segment in which it operated. And if it was going to sort of increase its numbers and all that sort of thing, it was going to have to go down the price stack a little bit. So it's going to do that, but it, but it or or release a new color cover. Yeah, well, indeed, because that's what um, yeah. Last time we were out in China, they were saying like it's such a. Um, a status symbol yeah. that everyone wants you to everyone wants you to know that you have the most the latest yeah. model. But they obviously they all look exactly the same color. So you release an iPhone which has which is the color that you've never seen before. Indeed, and then some people that's a big deal, and it, and it varies according to culture. You know, to, to generalize massively, uh, it, it looks like um, certain parts of China are very status driven. <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. And, that, and that's a big driver there. Whereas maybe in the West we're a bit more sort of been there, got the T-shirt about the whole thing. One other one part of the market that Apple doesn't operate in is the 11,400 bracket. Uh, you may be surprised to know that there is such a bracket, but there was, <laughs> a, there was one company that was called Sirin Labs. I went to their launch about a year ago, just down the road up here in central London, of this phone called Solarin, which was this ultra-high-end one, all the bells and whistles, and, and had apparently this sort of weapons-grade encryption and security. So no one could ever hack into it, but they wanted eleven and a half grand for it. Now, you know, I'm I'm trying to imagine. So even the, the most expensive iPhone costs about a grand, I think, um, brand yeah. new. You know, with the most amount of storage or whatever. So, you know, what could it possibly do to justify that ten k difference? And, and the answer is nothing. And and there was a story just right up today that it looks like they're sort of pulling the plug on the whole thing. But that's, but that's pretty much the same as everything to do with watches, though, isn't it? They're still status symbols. I mean, my Casio tells the... the well, I'm not, I don't wear a watch, but a Casio <laughs> still tells Your the time. Your theoretical Casio. Yeah, my theoretical Casio tells the time exactly the yeah, same, well, as effectively as a yeah, 5,000 so tag cure. No, no it's, it's a very good point, and I actually did a bit of research, and you can... The most expensive watches, according to some Esquire article I read, are about three-quarters of a million or something like that. And, of course, it's just getting silly. Yes, it's got the best craftsmanship and can tell the time on the moon and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's massively diminishing returns as you go up the price stack, and then it becomes a status symbol. What doesn't seem to have happened with smartphones is that it will support a status symbol, a sort of Lamborghini or a Rolex or a Bulgari or whatever kind of level. Well, I mean, part of that, I think, is because they don't actually last that long. 
There is that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the refreshment cycles, what, maybe 18 months, two something years? Like that. Yeah, two years probably. So, yeah, are, are you going to drop tons of money on something that you're going to replace in two years anyway as opposed to your watch or your jewellery or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I see it from both sides. Like, I mean, first of all, no, I can't see any normal human being ever dropping that amount of cash that is something that has to be replaced <laughs> in time. Yeah. But on the on the flip side of things, anyone who's got that amount of cash to drop is probably is not worrying about the state of his bank accounts. No, and I did a quick bit of sort of back of the fag packet calculations, and they still managed to shift about seven hundred thousand of these things because the TechCrunch story reckoned that they made about ten million in revenue. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember seeing this. Um, and uh, but they and raised thinking, like well, seventy-two seven, million, didn't they? Well, yes. No, I mean it's, clear, <laughs> it's clearly not a viable business, and I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. The surprise is that seven hundred thousand people bought one of these things. So there you go. And and actually, just to sort of round off that particular segment, so you, we were talking about Rolexes and that sort of thing. You wrote a piece today, um, I think an analyst firm w- was forecasting some quite nice growth in the in the wearables market, which, which I was surprised by because I've always thought sort of smartwatches, and we've discussed it before, smartwatches are a bit of uh, sort of what's the point of them oh. thing. But why don't you tell us quickly what, what that I story is about? I mean, I, I'm just... I, I wrote it up just purely, partly because there was very little news going around, to yes. be perfectly honest. That's a fact. Um, and, I mean, I just don't believe it. I, don't, I, I just can't see how the smartphone revolution is going to take up. The only way I can see it is that when they actually get, when Bluetooth headsets kick off properly, I know you've got one, mm-hmm. and they do look good. I, I'm just a bit cheap at the moment because I've got a perfectly good pair of headphones downstairs so I don't want to buy another pair yeah um but that's the only time I can imagine um a smart a smartwatch kicking off is when they sync them up properly and when the the bluetooth headsets takes off properly because you're not going to walk around no. with your bloody wrist to your, to your ear sort of talking Certainly to someone not. so Looking like a right the, dork you know the bluetooth headset at least takes allows for that functionality of having a phone call but it doesn't allow you to text no, that efficiently surf the web yeah, surf the web, Facebook, or, all that. It's no, that's ridiculous. always been my thing. I I thought this since they first came out. You know, they're one of two devices. If they're if they don't have their own connectivity, then they're an accessory. Um, yeah. Uh, I you need to pair them by Bluetooth with your smartphone, and then they're basically an alert device, stroke fitness tracker, stroke you know that sort of thing, and that's all fine. Until see, the, someone... fit, the fitness tracking side of things, I can see that really. T- I can yeah. honestly, I don't know why people aren't trying to muscle into that area a bit more because how many people like i run quite a lot and i like to know whether i mean it's really simple functionality that's all i'm after is gps tracker that tells me how far i've gone and how quickly i've run it and if i'm improving that's all i need little targets and stuff all i need to know is week by week that i'm getting better but you can get that um but through a much more rudimentary device can't you uh, and those those are sort of standalone fitness trackers, and those I I can see the purpose of those. That's all fine. Yeah. I I'm not as committed a runner as you are. I must confess, but w- if I was, I could see the appeal <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> um, it's a smartwatch. I mean, the problem with just these sort of dumb paired devices is the price point. If they cost about hundred quid or less, and that's fine. You can you can always get into an impulse purchase Christmas present. That's quite handy. Here you go, Scott. Go for a run, you fat bastard. <laughs> um, but uh, but when you want three or four hundred quid, then it's got to bring a bit more to the table. So then you get onto the other one, which is a a connected device, which maybe you carry instead of your smartphone. 
because it's got its own modem and you can pick up yeah. calls on it and then maybe as you can say you can talk on a sort of bluetooth headset and that's all groovy um and you don't have to go around with this slab of sort of plastic strapped to the side of your head but i don't think it's viable for anyone to leave the house with just a smartwatch and a bluetooth headset not right now no not right well, now. Um, and something would something to do with, and I've spoken about this before, to do with the user interface would have to fundamentally change. Yeah. Right now, we're used to having a touch screen where we can surf the web and do all these other things like Facebook and and all that sort of thing. Um, you can't do that. You know, when you've got a screen, screen real estate of about a, a square inch, uh, there's very little you can do. So I think a sort of gesture or much better voice UI, as we've spoken about before, or some combination of it. So a gesture UI would be it's strapped to your wrist anyway. You wave your hands around. And that actually tells it to do stuff, but that still doesn't solve the problem of like how do you look at the internet? consumption? Yeah, yeah. You totally. know how do you? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, as far as I see, there is no answer there. Little maybe uh, glasses with little heads up display on them. Yeah, like you go oh, and walking oh, into lampposts. You never know. Maybe AR is the the answer there. Um, uh-huh. You know these these sort of AR glasses where you can I don't know out the side of it. You can yeah. that is how you consume the web pages and Indeed. Facebook and all that sort of thing. You know that might be that AR could be yeah, the next just step. Go around for, with this heads up display with everything constantly having sort of bits of digital larking about superimposed over it but my problem with like smartwatches there is that they, they can't succeed on their own you know even with phone calls you're relying on the success of bluetooth headsets yeah. you know to consume to consume web pages you're sort of relying on i don't know hooking up to a tv screen that's near you or or projecting onto a wall or yes. having an ar a pair exactly. of glasses on no i completely agree as a standalone technology it's it's useless. As a form factor, it's just too limited. So, so why does this uh, in this story? Why does this analyst <coughs> firm reckon that the shipments are going to pick up? I got no blind idea. Blind optimism. I've literally got no idea. I mean, <laughs> it, I mean, okay. There was two. There was two reports that I came across today, and one of them, um, and I can't remember what they're called. The good one. Okay. I can't remember. Sorry, right, we'll called. keep it anonymous. Doesn't really matter. Uh, so the good one, they they turned around and said, yeah, you know, AI is becoming more prominent. It's featuring in the phones and this sort of like minor revolution and one in three new smartphones is going to be AI powered. Okay, I mean so that this could kickstart. This is a starts. separate report on AI rather than no, wearables. no, no. So it was a sm- it was a it, that was the reason oh, to kickstart the wearables um, sort of revolution again. Right. But the other report I read just turned around and said, yeah, you know, it's going to go up from. 10 billion to 17 billion in four years because you know wearables are great and that's just like <laughs> you know and i've got literally no interest in i mean i mean gonna i'm gonna keep that i'm gonna keep that firm under rats because i've got literally no interest in speaking to them anymore <laughs> okay they, it, it, it was so lazy and pointless and <laughs> i they've really gone well, down in my estimations chance, chances are i know them so it's probably a good thing you've forgotten who they are well so yeah. i'll move on <laughs> um connected cars so in this sort of device IoT-ish sort of uh, world, connected cars, this is something you've been writing about quite a lot, Jamie. So in a sec, after introducing it, I'll sort of hand the ball over to you. But there have been a couple of sort of business developments this week to do with connected cars, a big acquisition by Intel, uh, and NVIDIA's been sort of getting more and more interconnected cars. So why don't you just talk us through those two first? Well, firstly, I'm glad you put the NVIDIA thing in there because... Um 
you know, haven't quite finished writing the story. And <laughs> You're ha- halfway I've, through it when we came up Halfway through, in. haven't done all my research and reason on it, so I don't, oh. I'm not really that clued up on the on the partnership Well, yet. that's all right. We'll be um, the blind leading the blind. <laughs> um, but the Intel side of things, it's it's something you should... I, I mean, I should, I'm not particularly surprised by this. Um, they have been... They've been living in each other's pockets. Who did Intel acquire, by the way? Sorry, Mobilize. So right. it's a Dutch sensors company. Okay. Um, so basically, they've been in the sort of like assisted driving area for quite a while, and now they're providing the sensors which tracks movement and projects where sort of like objects are going to be depending on their uh-huh. current speed, acceleration, deceleration, right. all that sort of thing. Lots of sensor so, smarts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're really good as well. Um, you know, I mean, to be perfectly honest, you know, I'm not a technologist. I'm not going to look at the code. I'm not going to look at the software and all that. I it don't... looks pretty damn clever. No, nah, I mean, going by their previous relationships, I mean, they broke up with Tesla, um, which at the time uh, was a bit of a car crash for them. <laughs> Excuse me. Th- yeah. Um, their share price absolutely stacked it for a bit. Um, everyone was turning around saying, why on earth? You know, you're a sensor company. Why would you leave? Yeah. Not only one of the most innovative automotive uh, automotive brands, probably one of the most innovative brands full stop. Yeah. Um, why would you ditch them? And then, you know, got in this partnership with Intel uh, and BMW to power the, um, uh, the, 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 the sort of the AI, uh, com- uh, sorry, the, 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 the connected car. Yeah. Um, and then 15.3 billion Intel dropped on. That's, that's a serious chunk Mobileye. of change. So Intel's been pretty serious. It sort of created an IoT business unit a few years back. It's been quite serious. You know, one thing I've written about a fair bit, knowing having tracked Intel in the past and its attempts to get into mobile, uh, which it sort of more or less failed because, cut a long story short, its chips just weren't as energy efficient as ARM-based chips, which yeah. is what we find in all smartphones. Um, but Intel's determined not to get left behind by the next lot of stuff, which is principally sort of IoT. Um, and so it seems to be particularly proactive on, on connected cars, so I think this mobile acquisition is sort of quite indicative of that. I think so. I mean, they're, they're trying to take on NVIDIA and ARM and sort of Qualcomm and all yeah. these guys in, in this space. Um, and like you said, they they stacked it in the mobile revolution. Yeah. You know, they were... They were great when it comes to personal computers. Yeah. They've still got so a massive was, name for themselves yeah. in the data center world. Um, but, you know, now, like you said, I mean, they couldn't get their chips small enough or yeah. power efficient enough. It's not so much an issue when you've got a two-ton car around you as Indeed. well. You know, you can make the chips a little bit bigger. Yeah, and so they, they want to get an IoT, but they, they're not kidding themselves that, that you're probably going to get Intel chips inside tiny little embedded devices. No. That's going to remain a strength of ARM. Um, but uh, why can't they be at the other end, be running the sort of cloud side, the data center side, and again, as you say, in larger embedded environments like in cars, where where their relative energy and efficiency is less of a disadvantage? I mean, I'm looking forward to, I mean, I'm hoping one thing, I mean, I've, I've seen Intel do some good work over the last sort of 12 months, and, you know, there's a couple of these giants that, like, Intel, IBM, they've really stepped up their game in the digital space. Um, and I'm hoping they don't lose too much track chasing the car game or the IoT space, but you know, they're going to lose their share of, lo- or lose their stranglehold in the data center world as well. 
Um, you know, because this is something we were talking about earlier when we were talking about sort of edge computing or fog, yeah. fog computing. These distributed data centers are going right. to start appearing, appearing all over the place, aren't they? I mean, Indeed. You know, how often, I know I've said this loads of times and I said it this morning as well, how often do you, uh, how long before we're going to have a mini data center that sits alongside our fiber cabinet on yeah, the street? Indeed. So only certain, imp- and you know, when there's less stress on the on the network, uh, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning, all the data that's sent there is just is stored yeah. there, is sent back to the core. Uh, there's going to be all sorts of cleverness yeah. going on there. It so. could be some great stuff. So I'm hoping that Intel don't lose too much um, too much focus on their core business. I don't think they will. But you know, big big companies, what what they do well is have the cash cow, yeah, and use that to fund bets. A lot of which fail, and you know, I'll I'll quite happily take the piss out of companies like Intel when they fail. For example, in mobile, uh, or the countless ways in which companies like Microsoft have tried stuff and it's failed, and Amazon got into smartphones and that was an obvious failure from the start, and all that sort of thing. But I completely respect all of them for rolling the dice, because every now and then one of them pays off and pays yeah. off big. So it's quite a venture capitalist, quite a you know speculative model. Um, one other thing uh, that's vaguely related to cars, um, which you wrote about this week, was uh, something to do a sort of innovative kind of hacking uh, <laughs> using sound that, that you wrote about saying that it could be used to sort of hack into cars, which is obviously relevant as cars get more more smart. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna sort of like base this story on. Uh, well, basically, I'm just going to have to say this first and foremost, that the university that came out with this research and this claim um, are actually commercialising the answer. Uh, so take it with a little pinch of salt. Indeed. I dare say it is a problem, okay. but, you know, whether it's as serious a problem as they... Yeah, we'll, we'll okay. see. Well, we'll either see. way, it's going to provide quite a handy segue to the next bit, so we'll stick with it. <laughs> so basically... Um, in most IoT devices, or in a lot of IoT devices, let me just uh, find the word so I don't so I say it properly. So in most um, in my in most IoT devices that rem- that, that take in uh, that are especially wearables and that sort of thing, you have this thing called an accelerometer. Yeah, which basically tracks movement. Indeed. So, um, it, but inside the accelerometer there is a physical core uh-huh. which moves slightly yep. around sort of sound waves and helps detect certain things like movement and sounds and all that sort of thing and it helps the the sensor pick up um certain sensors okay. as it were um so basically the university have been tricking the accelerometer um into into thinking it has uh it's receiving certain sounds i see then when it re- when it receives those sounds, it opens up a um, a gateway into another piece of trusted software. More often than not, an Android device on a phone or okay. an iOS device on a the phone. There, that open doorway because of a fictitious sound which had been created by the university allowed them to go in and cre- and so and sort of hack the rest of the phone so and control using, using other systems. sounds to trick the chip in a phone via the accelerometer into sort of opening itself up to sort of hacking and other types of naughtiness. Yes, yeah, so the theory is that there is a slight oversight in the relationship between software and hardware. Right. 
So you've got this bit of hardware like your Fitbit on your on your wrist, mm-hmm. um, and the the software on your phone explicitly trusts I see. Um, this piece of hardware. Yeah. Um, now, as soon as you can trick the hardware into sending signals to the software, yeah. Um, if that makes sense, I yeah, know I haven't does. explained it very well. Yeah. So you're basically the tricking door. the whole system. You're yeah. gaming the whole system. So, the, so their point is is that the the, the the relationship between hardware and software needs to be reevaluated Fair to enough. ensure that it's, there's no malicious software or data coming into the system. And lo and behold, through our new super duper bit of security software, you can. So hacking. <laughs> uh, another sort of story thread this week has been talking about the the Yahoo hacks of 2014. Uh, this story's run and run. The, the main interest that telecoms.com has had in it is that Verizon is buying Yahoo, or at least it's buying the internet business of Yahoo. Um, it should be noted that the internet business of Yahoo is only in terms of value about a ninth of the total value of Yahoo, most of which is tied up in its stakes in uh, Alibaba and in Yahoo Japan. Um, anyway, cut a long story short... Um, Verizon said we'll pay five odd billion for all this, and then uh, and then all this stuff about these hacks came out, and everyone was going, "Well, Verizon, are you still going to pay all that money for that thing now that all this stuff suddenly come out about how dodgy it is?" Uh, and this went backwards and forwards, and in the end, uh, Verizon managed to get about three hundred million, three fifty million, I think, off the price. And one thing that came out today in a Yahoo filing is that Verizon originally wanted about nine hundred billion off the price. So the story I wrote is that they sort of got a bit ripped off in that negotiation, um, which makes me think that Verizon just wanted Yahoo no matter what. Uh, and there are lots of reasons why in terms of the way operators are evolving with multiplayer and, and having more content ownership and all that sort of thing. Uh, and Yahoo knew that, and so they drove a hard bargain, and they knew Verizon wouldn't walk away. Um, I mean, if, if they hadn't walked away by this point, they were never going to, really. And quite. they had so many opportunities to get out of... Uh, uh, I just won on the Cheltenham races, by the way. Oh, you just uh, won on the Cheltenham? That's yeah. why you've been staring at your phone. Yeah, I got fiver each way on little Rockefeller. He came, he came in second, so right, I'm la- laughing a bit there. Beers are on you. Ah, well, well, off in the stag tonight, so right. we'll have to wait till next week. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, they had so many opportunities to just get out that yep. they just, you know, if they weren't going to be gone by this point, they were never going to go. So yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, so I, oh, sorry, just to continue yeah, that, yeah. I've got no sympathy with Verizon and the fact they didn't get as big a discount because Yahoo can just turn around and go, well, you're not going anywhere, so yeah, yeah. Well, quite, stump up no, the cash. That's the same with all negotiations. You know, as a complete, as a complete tangent, we had a thing that you know, we've got all this sort of Brexit soap opera that's going on forever over here in the UK. And we had all these things. One time, our prime minister went, "Well, if we're not happy with negotiations, we'll walk away." And loads of people go, "Oh my God, you're playing hard, hardball. You can't say stuff like that. That's so out of order." And he's just like, "Well, what else can you say? If you're not prepared to walk away from negotiation, it's not a negotiation, is it? It's a capitulation." So uh, yeah, that seems to be what happened there. And then just to um, rub salt in the wound, the uh, current CEO of Yahoo. Uh, a lady called Marissa Mayer, who came over from um, Google about five years ago. She is getting, again, in this same filing, she's getting $23 million as a what they call a golden parachute. So over, <laughs> over and above the about $77 million in share options that she has, 
she's they're rounding it up to a cool sort of hundred million, just so that you know when she leaves the job, it's not too tough for her while she's looking for her next one. And you sort of think the first thing I thought from that is yet another example of how nearly all the money flows upwards in businesses, and we're all aware of that. Um, but sometimes it's so flagrant that you sort of go, oh my god. You know, I wonder how many other people who've been let go by Yahoo got more than the absolute bare minimum payoff, and then she gets to walk away with 23 mil. And looking, you know, this is what led me to realise how little of the company is actually made up of what we associate with Yahoo. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I had a little look at the share price, and actually in the five years since she's been there, the share price has gone up a fair bit. So you sort of think, fair enough. You know, in a public company, that's the ultimate measure of your success as a CEO. Share price has gone up, you've increased shareholder value, you should get a nice big payoff. No argument with that. Yeah. But actually, given that only about a tenth of it is the bit that she's running, uh, and the rest of it is is their just passive stakes in in other businesses. Was she was she a sh- uh, shareholder? Well, she's got ma- a, a ton. Like I said, seventy seven million dollars um, worth of share options. Okay, okay, all of which vest as soon as she leaves. Um, anyway, long and short of it is, you know, there were lots of articles on whether or not she deserves it. I don't think. I'm trying to imagine what she could have done, even if it had gone really well, to justify twenty three mil. Um, but she gets it, and ultimately, the only people whose problem it is is Yahoo shareholders, who must be used to getting a kicking by now. Um, and just to finish off on that on that Yahoo hack thing, uh, something we we haven't written about, but I was just reading about it today. The Americans have have arrested some Russians, including a couple of people who are apparently employed by um, the Russian secret service, for initiating that hack back in 2014. So, you know, on the back of all the stuff that's been going around the Trump presidency and allegations of him being too close to the Russians and and there was that bizarre story about him getting up to no good in a hotel room in Russia. Anyways, this is another (laughs) weird thing, another weird thing going on with with the Russians in the US to do with um, sort of cyber espionage. So there's a lot of argy-bargy going on there. Um, and I don't think anyone's that surprised to find out that this Yahoo hack was was there were some Russians behind it. So that's that's going to keep on rolling. Right, we're getting towards the end of our time here. Um, in this sort of devices IoT ish themed show, I've got a couple of little uh, slightly more quirky ones. I'm going to throw the first one to you, Jamie, because you wrote about something you called the Internet of Muck Things today. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So. Um McDonald's, it's basically copying start what Starbucks had done recently, but hopefully doing it a lot better. So Starbucks a while back developed this app where you could order your coffee ahead of time, pay for it on route, and then just go into a shop and pick it up. Um, the only problem is, is that they didn't get the logistics of it right at right. all, and there was huge queues... Okay. Backlogs of coffee. People okay. who just normal people with money in their hands just walking in off the streets just couldn't get to the front of the queue. I no see. one would serve them. So it was an absolute nightmare for them. Well, is, is it actually supposed to achieve the opposite of that, which is make it even more? Oh yeah, so, but it's supposed to be just very streamlined. Yeah. Um, so basically, McDonald's have got the same idea, but the only thing that is slightly different is that they've incorporated geolocation data yeah. into it as well. So they'll give you an estimated time, how long it'll take. Yeah. Um, but then they'll only start preparing the meal when you're in a suitable yeah. distance of 
the so restaurants. That, so that your Big Mac's nice and fresh, as yeah. fresh as they ever are. So basically, you say, like, I, I'm, I'm hungry at the moment. we got a McDonald's across the road. I can yeah. order it here. Um, then I go out across the... And then when I get to the bottom of the building, I'll be deemed within a reasonable distance of the restaurants. So it'll ask me to confirm and pay. And then yeah. I just walk in and, in theory, waiting for a very short time or I get table service or anything like that. So it's... I, yeah. can, I can see, actually, back to what we're talking about with wearables and and... You know, that sort of thing. And fitness trackers. I can see a time where the fitness tracker will know when the last time you ate was. It will know how hungry you are. And it will start sending that information to a nearby McDonald's, which will then preemptively go, Jamie, you you could do with a bite to eat. We've got a lovely piping hot Big Mac sitting here with your name on it. Why don't you come in and stuff your face? And you won't be able to resist, will you? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that one. And then the final one is just something I read. I didn't write about it. I read about it, I think, in The Guardian first. There's a, there's a Canadian company that makes sex toys. Um, and their, their particular angle on sex toys is they're connected. Now, I think the, the fun bit of this is supposed to be it's connected. So, you know, like some people, if they have long-distance relationships, they might have phone sex. Okay. They might sort of whisper naughtiness to each other over the phone well this a connected dildo is a way of seriously augmenting that phone sex so that was that's supposedly the idea don't don't look at me i didn't come up with the company this is their idea problem is they've been taking data from these devices so they now have got data derived from the active use of one of these devices and they got sued uh successfully sued for taking this data without notifying the users of these connected sex toys. So this is yet another example, as we've been talking about a few times on this podcast, of where this sort of IoT utopia can start to get pretty dark pretty quickly. (laughs) So anyway, so on on that quirky note, uh, we'll conclude that for now. Thanks a lot, Jamie, and thanks for listening, and make sure you join us for the next one. Thank you for listening to A Week in Wireless. Join us next week at the same time, same place, possibly the same people, but even better.